Again, it's called the Olivet Discourse. And I entitled the message, Are You Ready for the Coming of the Lord? Because a lot of times we really don't understand the coming of the Lord. We think it, the rapture is going to happen and boom, and that's it. And it's over and we're in glory. But, you know, Jesus, I want to get all the information I can because this is going to be some trying times. Now, the Olivet Discourse takes place a few days after Palm Sunday, right before Jesus be betrayed by uh, Judas Iscariot. And here Jesus and his disciples were leaving the temple. So let's read Mark chapter 13, verses 1 and 2. Then he, Jesus, went out of the temple. One of his disciples said to him, Teacher, See what manner of stones and the buildings are here. And Jesus answered and said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be torn down. So here they just came from the temple and then they're walking down to the Mount of Olives. But here's their conversation after leaving a time of worship. But do you remember your last conversation before you left church? You know, what you were thinking about? Were you thinking about the message? What was your last conversation? But we really should ponder what we hear because there's always a lesson when we walk with Jesus. And the last time here, Jesus is leaving the temple First, the disciples were very impressed by the magnificence of the buildings of what man has built. And secondly, here we see the disciples were in awe of these massive stones of the temple. You know, I too was amazed when I visited Israel in 2016 and 2014. I went and when I we went under the walls of Jerusalem and we saw these huge stones and just as the first uh, century historian Josephus described in his history books, you know, we saw 30, 37 feet long um, stones, 12 feet high, 18 feet thick. So, you know, basically I saw what Josephus had described in the first century, and it was pretty amazing. The foundations of the wall of Jerusalem. So what Jesus was describing here in these verses is the walls of the temple, which was amazing, but it was destroyed. But I'm sure glad the disciples asked Jesus this question here because we could gain a lot of insight from these two little verses. Notice what the disciples were fixed on. They were fixed on the buildings, the outward structure of the house of worship. So please don't get me wrong. The, the house of worship is important. Absolutely. We should care for our houses of worship, but to, to, but to put too much emphasis on being impressed with things and people can be a form of idolatry. Idolatry is the worship or the exaltation of anything that is above the one and true only God of the Bible. So today there's a similar pride. You know, it, it happens today. Taking pride or being impressed by magnificent church buildings, 
thriving ministries. You know, we want to be a part of that ministry. I want to go over there because what's happening or this is a big church or they have big personalities in the pulpit or worship leaders. But Jesus here isn't impressed by the things that man does. He's not impressed by the things that man does. Basically, Jesus here is saying, yep, it's big. And I'm paraphrasing here, of course. But Jesus uses this question to address a bigger picture. These things that man builds, these things that man builds don't last. You see, Jesus is omniscient. And he's preparing them for what is coming. Their place of worship would one day be turn to rubble this happened in 70 ad as jesus protected protected here in verse 2 he said not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down you see the lord is the one we worship regardless of our location of how humble it is or how big it is how big the venue is you see that's not the important thing Jesus said in John chapter 4 and verse 21, he said, But the hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him. So Jesus is saying, those who worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. So there's a spiritual aspect of it, but there's truth according to scriptures i'm going to worship according to what he says they go hand in hand together and jesus is here is he's preparing his followers for the future and you know what he's still preparing us for the future we if we would just listen like that song says we just need to listen we need to be in the word as a church, we need to be in the word and spiritually in tune to put things into a right perspective when it comes to things that impress us. Because, you know, these disciples will follow Jesus for three and a half years and they were like, wow. They were impressed by the things that the buildings, the ministries, the beautiful worship music. The personalities, these things should always be on the lower rung of what impresses us. It should be Jesus. See, we must have a right perspective. The Lord should be worshipped and honored and he should be the focus of our adoration and our praise and our attention. He needs to be the focus. See, the building is a place where we gather, where we're taught and where we worship him. But may our houses of worship, uh, they're there on Sundays and Wednesdays. They're a place of growth, growth, but, but may our learning not stop when we leave these doors. May our learning not stop when we leave these doors. May we ponder the things that we hear. The messages from the Lord. And our prayer should be, Lord, give us ears to hear. Teach us on our way home. Because a lot of times we hear a message and we leave and we forget about it. But here they gave, he gave them a message about what was going to happen. And they wanted to know more. I want to know more. 
May we ponder like these men. Lord, teach us as we follow you. We too should have a desire to be well prepared. Likewise, too, like these followers, we also can have misconceptions or we could have an erroneous view about the church, his kingdom, and what's going to happen in this world. See, they had an erroneous view of what was going to happen. They thought Jesus was going to take over and they were going to sit on his right hand and left hand. And they're going to they're just going to have a, a big uh, a party there. You see, they believed Jesus was going to take over. It was going to be a coronation. They weren't expecting the cross in the next couple of days. We definitely need the Lord to make us a ready people in these last days. Let's read verses three through six. It says, and now he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us what will these things be and what will be the sign when all these things will be fulfilled. And Jesus answering them, began to say, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. So after a short walk here, after their worship service, the disciples, it says that they were sitting with Jesus and they were concerned about what the Lord said about these falling stones. Not one stone will be left upon another. The Bible tells us that they were sitting on the Mount of Olives just opposite the temple. They were sitting across on the Mount of Olives, which is across from the Kidron Valley, which is basically across the street from here. They were sitting across and they were facing the east gate where Zechariah chapter 14 verse uh, 4 says that in that day, speaking of Jesus... He will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east. And on the Mount of Olives will be split in two from the east to the west, making a very large valley. And half the mountain will move towards the north and half towards the south. But Jesus didn't bring up this particular passage to describe what was going to happen. He didn't go to this passage to show them what he was going to do. He used this opportunity to get them ready for the end. This is going to happen. Jesus is going to come back. He's going to stand on the Mount of Olives. All that's going to happen according to Zechariah chapter 14 verse 4. But he wants to get them ready. He used this opportunity. Jesus' concern is primarily for his followers, for their safety and their spiritual well-being, where they're going to spend eternity. He doesn't want to set us up for failure. So Jesus takes this opportunity and he says, take heed to his followers. Take heed. Pay attention that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. That word deceive means beware, church, be watchful out, be watchful for deception. We also see this in Matthew 24, 5 and 11. Jesus said, for many will come in my name saying, I am he and will deceive many. 
in the last days. But notice the word he used here over again. He said many. Showing a great emphasis and an urgency on the main problem of our last days. Deception. Deception is is our greatest problem in these last days. See, we live in a world where we see a false savior mentality. You know, there's people who have savior mentalities running around uh, rampant. You know, people have this savior mentality and it comes in the guise of maybe political activism or social justice. I heard a claim the other day saying that they have the solution for saving humanity from the planet's destruction and the pending climate change disaster. Politicians are saying that they're going to save the world. That man's going to save the world. It seems that the world is looking towards a man to solve its problems and bring comfort to their anxious hearts. But here Jesus warns of false Christ, false saviors who are going to come on the world stage with grandeur, showing themselves very impressive with their words and their ideas. They're going to be very impressive. Why? They will deceive many, it says here. Surely they're not coming in with horns and pork uh, pitchforks and red suits and pointy tails. They're coming and they will look in appearance to be magnificent and brilliant. That's why Jesus is warning his people concerning the end times about deception. We need to be in the word. Why? Because we're going to be deceived. If we're not in the word, we're going to get deceived. You see, the best way to spot a counterfeit is to be so familiar with the genuine that the fake stands out like a sore thumb. When I used to work at Costco, I was a front end supervisor and I was in charge of all the cash registers. And so when all the uh, cashiers, when their tills or what was in their register came to about two thousand dollars, I had to count it and I have to count it. I had to verify That the money that they wrote down was the money that I had in my hand. I had to match the dollar amount, which they claimed to be on the register sheet. Then I began to count, but I was trained with my senses to simultaneously do a visual inspection of what I was holding. But also I would feel the texture of the material as as I went through the stack of cash. And this was my daily practice. And those who handled cash and supervisor were responsible to double check everybody's work. So that you're not shortchanged at the end of the night. So for the Christian, we need to be daily in the word of God to train our senses. You know, I knew what a real real money felt like real 20s i could spot a fake they trained us to do that how going over the stack over and over and over and i would count money count money count money and i would this one doesn't feel real and so too with the christian we need to be so familiar in the word of god to know the person of jesus who the true messiah is so that he becomes so familiar to us 
We're so familiar with the genuine Jesus that we will notice when something is fishy. That the only way we are going to notice is if we are in the word. That's how the Christian is going to notice. Because Jesus is warning, you're going to be deceived. You're going to be deceived, false messiahs. But Jesus wants us to be aware because the enemy of our souls has been per, uh, perfecting a false alternative since the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And as believers, we're called to verify truth of the Word of God, of who He is, and experience with Scripture so that we're not robbed of all that God has for us. You see, the Bible tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8, it says, Finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to those who love his appearing. You know, we don't, he doesn't want us to be ripped off. And he doesn't want you to be deceived. So we as Christians need to be in the word because Jesus warns us here at the end of verse six, that deception, this deception will deceive many, not might deceive many. He said, will deceive many. So that's why we need to be in the word of God. Test your pastors, those who teach, those who do worship songs. Make sure it's the, they're singing to the right Jesus. Make sure they're teaching about the right Jesus. But here in verse 7 through 8, Jesus continues as we read verse 7 through 8. He says, but you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But do not be troubled for such things must happen. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be earthquakes in various places. And there will be famines and troubles. These things are the beginning of sorrows. So these are Jesus' words. Now he points to the things that will take place before his coming. He said, but you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. But he says to his followers, don't be troubled for such things must happen. Things are going to get bad. Things are going to get bad. Why do I say this? Because Jesus said it. Jesus said it. It's going to get bad. I want to be ready. Are you ready for these things that are going to take place before his coming? Basically, he's saying here, these are the preliminary rounds that will play out before the main event. You will hear wars and rumors of war. And if you're looking at the world events right now, pretty much what is happening right before our eyes is going down. You know, we see China. China is threatening to take over Taiwan in the South Pacific. A couple of months ago, uh, there were two spy balloons that went over our country that took real-time data information that is vital to our national security. It was reported just this last Monday that another balloon is flying in the ocean between Mexico and Hawaii. They're threatening war. Who's their opposition? We are. We are. 
Recently, China announced its strengthening ties with Russia. And on April 6th, China has become now a major player in the Middle East and is facilitating peace talks with uh, Saudi Arabia and Iran in that region. But all the while, they're also buying farmland and they have a big foothold on major food, food supplies. It's crazy what's happening in the world. Iran, with China's backing now, they will continue to pursue obtaining nuclear weapons. Just two weeks ago, a few weeks ago, March 24th, Iranian-backed fighters in Syria were shooting rockets into Israel, targeting American troops. It's getting, it's getting hostile. Yesterday, I don't know if you heard the news, yesterday, uh, Iran uh, just seized an oil tanker. And then a couple weeks before that, another oil tanker. Hey, things are getting crazy. There's a lot of movement also happening with Russia, too. You know, I just heard earlier unconfirmed sources say that there was an incident at, in the capital today of Russia. And we know what's all that's happening with the Ukraine situation. But Russia is, is making more maneuvers into Syria and flying over U.S. troops. In February, Putin uh, issued warnings to the U.S. regarding nuclear testings. And there's a lot going on in the world. And we see, as Jesus said here in verse 8, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. So we see these major uh, countries positioning themselves and fortifying themselves in position of power and dominance. You see, the U.S. is no longer seen as the big brother in the world, keeping the peace. It's no surprise because biblical prophecy doesn't mention us, but it mentions these nations that I just brought up. The next thing Jesus points to here, Jesus said, before I come, there will be an increase in seismic activity. You'll see earthquakes in various places. Here's what's happening currently. A magnitude 7.0, April 14th in Indonesia. Magnitude 6.3, April 19th, uh, Pua Magin, uh, New Guinea. Uh, 5.5, April 18th, Guerrero, Mexico. Magnitude 6.0, April 13th in Canada. And a magnitude 6.6, April 27th in Fiji. There's a lot of stuff going on. Seismic activity going on. But the third thing Jesus here points to, he says that there will be famines. And on uh, last Thursday, uh, there was a report that thousands in Africa are facing acute food shortages. Acute food, uh, food shortages means it's serious. You know, we're experiencing egg shortages and, and all kinds of things here. You know, some co might call it bizarre events. Concerning our food supply here and our water supplies, you know, we see the fires, the train derailment, uh, plane crashes. There's a lot going on. Food processing places being closed down. There's a major. They're causing a major shift in our food supply. Supply and demand and our food prices are going up. We need to pray. The next thing Jesus says, troubles are coming, he says. Troubles are coming. 
And this word trouble is the word speaking of an experience of high levels of anxiety. The troubles it, uh, implies an anxious mind. This is the, the mindset. The anxiety is a feeling of fear, being terrified or having an uneasy mind. And here Jesus is pointing to the state of the mindset in the last days. There'll be a heightened sense of anxiety and we see it. He concludes his second session here with the sad, sad words. These are the beginning of sorrows, man. It's going to get worse. These are just the beginning of sorrows. He says. It's time that we as God's people start praying. And fasting. We need to start praying and fasting. So that we're prepared to go through these things that will take place before our eyes. Before we focus our eyes on him. We need to focus our eyes on him. We need to seek his wisdom. We need to seek his strength. We need to have him to help us maneuver through all the obstacles that we will face. And Jesus said to his followers, I love this, do not be troubled. For such things must take place. But the end is not yet. It's going to be troubling times. But the end is not yet. There's a lot here in these two verses that coincides what's happening on the world stage currently. And Jesus is saying it's just the beginning of sorrows. He's pointing to and he's telling us that things are going to get worse. So let's see what he says here in the following verse, verses 9 through 13. Let's read it. But he says, watch out for yourselves, for they will deliver you up to councils and you will be beaten in the synagogues and you will be brought before rulers and kings for my sake. For a testimony to them. And the gospel must be, re- be preached to all nations. But when they arrest you and deliver you up. Do not worry beforehand or premeditate what you will speak. But whatever is given you in that hour speak. For it is not you who speak but the Holy Spirit. Now brother will betray brother to death. And a father, his child, and children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But he who endures to the end will be saved. That's heavy. That's heavy. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. Why do I know it's going to happen? Because Jesus said it is going to happen. He says here, watch out for yourselves. For the following things are going to start happening. You know, we already see the hostilities here in our country, but Jesus points to people in councils who will be hostile towards you because of your personal relationship with him and your moral standards, your lifestyle. That's the big thing right now. Your lifestyle. 
The world's going one way and we're here going another way. And you know what? They're going to want to get rid of you. They're going to want to get rid of you. He says you will experience hostility from nominal believers. He speaks about the synagogues here. Uh, Nominal believers who hold a low view of Scripture and morality. There's people in churches who have low view of Scripture and their morality is headed in the wrong direction. There are many people who claim to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, but do not adhere to his teachings. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus said, Not not everyone who says to me on that day, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom. Many will say on that day, hey, we did this and we did that. And, you know, we did all kinds of amazing things in your name. And Jesus said, I never knew you. You practice lawlessness. And two things there. I never knew you. There was no personal relationship. You could be sitting in church and you have no personal relationship with the Lord. You're just going through the motions. You who practice lawlessness morally, you're just stepping over the line. Not stumbling occasionally. You're just stepping over the line. You're going with the flow. You're going through that broad way. He says, I never knew you. You practice lawlessness. These are those who will come against you. Nominal believers. The third thing he says, you will experience hostility from political leaders for your faith in Christ. Most people are uninformed about the legislation that's being passed in our, in our state here, in our, in our country All the laws that are being passed in our state capital of Sacramento and in Washington are hostile towards you. Are hostile towards you. Jesus said it would be like that. Political leaders will come against you because of your faith. But we got to be informed of what's going on because all these the legislation that's coming in is very perverted towards our children and separating children from families. And now the uh, even the president the other day mentioned that uh, there are children. (laughs) There are children. They're the teacher's children. They're not just your children anymore. They're passing laws to do things to children without your consent because they believe they're your children. But despite all this, but Jesus said, during this time of hostility, the message of the gospel is going to spread and be preached through all the world. That's why we need to keep the main thing, the main thing. We need to preach the gospel because the gospel changes hearts. I had a wicked heart. God changed my heart. I had a perverted heart. God changed my heart. God, through the gospel, that's why we need to preach and teach the word of God. Number, the fifth thing Jesus says here, we're... We're encouraged that we're not alone during these tumultuous days. As believers, Jesus assured us that the Holy Spirit will guide us and divinely uh, prompt us using his inspiring words in difficult situations. He says, don't worry, pray. 
The Holy Spirit will help you. He's the helper. He's the comforter. But the sixth thing we see here in this biblical text is probably the most horrifying and heartbreaking things that we will see in the last days. It's the betrayal of our families. The betrayal of your children. He says, now brother will betray a brother to death. Jesus said this was going to happen. He knows all things. You're going to be you're going to be betrayed by your brothers. If that ain't worse, it says, and father, his child will betray his child and the children will rise up against their parents and cause them to be put to death. Are we prepared for that? Are we expecting that? I expect that. Why? Because Jesus said it's going to happen. I need to pray. I need to be on my knees. I need to pray for my children, my grandchildren, your grandchildren, your children. We, we spend Tuesday nights praying for you guys. That's why we're out in front of the church on Sunday morning. We're praying for the heart and souls of our children. But the seventh thing Jesus mentions here, universally, you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake. Here Jesus says, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. We need to get to praying. It's going to happen. We need to have a well-prepared heart for the coming of the Lord. These things are heartbreaking, but these events are on the horizon. They are coming. And here Jesus points to the the visual signs that we will see in the near future. And then now next he points in Mark chapter 13, verse 14 through 20. Let's read it. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation, which was spoken by Daniel, the prophet standing where it not, let the reader understand Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let him who is on the housetop not go down to the house, nor enter to take anything out of his house. And let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies in those days. And pray that your flight may, may not be in winter. For in those days there will be tribulation such as not has been since the beginning of creation which God created until this time. And unless the Lord had shortened those days, no flesh shall be saved. But for the elect's sake, whom he chose, he shortened the days. Now let's examine here in verse 14. He says, so when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by the prophet Daniel standing where it's not, let the reader understand what he reads. And then he says, let those who see this flee to Judea. Basically, Jesus is saying, when you see this, don't be mistaken. It's time to go. It's time to go. But here Jesus is referring to Daniel chapter 9, Daniel chapter 11, verse 31, and Daniel chapter 12. 
Paul writing later to the church in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, regarding the he's referring to the Antichrist standing in the temple, exalting himself to be worshipped. And this is going to take place three and a half years into the Great Tribulation, where the newly rebuilt temple will be there. And there he will stand desiring to be worshipped. You see, the church at this time will be raptured. So this portion is being addressed to those who are left in Jerusalem and those watching these events. First Thessalonians chapter five, verse nine says to the church, for God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're not going to go through the great tribulation. We will experience persecution, but we will not uh, experience the wrath of God. That's the great tribulation, the wrath of God. We're not appointed to wrath. Jesus suffered the wrath for us. But in verse 15 through 16, it says, on seeing these things, what you need to do if you're in this area, he says, don't go back into the house. Don't enter in. Don't go back to get your stuff. If you're in the field, don't go back to your clothes. In other words, don't waste your time. Jesus is saying, don't waste your time with stuff. Don't hesitate going back and packing because if you do, you're setting yourself up for failure. Thirdly, Jesus says here in verse 17, but woe to those who are pregnant and who are nursing babies in those days. And in verse 18, he says, pray that your flight may be in winter. These things Jesus is warning because it's going to get harder and harder especially for those who are caring for little ones. The word he used here, woe, is an expression of grief, heartache, and great sorrow because of the devastation that is coming. In verse 18, he says, pray that your flight may be, uh, and that word flight means to escape the danger. And it is believed that they're going to fly, they're going to take, Uh, Everyone from that region is going to go into the city of Petra where they're going to be safe for a little while. But verse 19 says, for those days, there will be great tribulation such as never been seen since the beginning of creation, which God created until this time or ever shall be. Basically, Jesus is saying here, it's going to be worse than ever. It's going to be worse than ever. You know, looking back on our last century, during the seven years of World War II, 80 to 75 million people died in those 70 years and seven years. 80 to 75 million people died in seven years. And Jesus says it's going to be worse than that. This is going to be bad. Most of the people died as a result of their own governments. But Jesus said their, the, here their tribulation is going to be far greater in scale than any disaster. What's going to take place will eclipse anything anybody has ever seen in human history. It's going to be that bad. In verse 20, he said, unless those, the, the Lord shortens those days, no flesh shall be saved. You know, and I'm glad, man, some days just fly by, man. But Jesus is going to shorten those days. But Jesus 
said this like he said in Luke chapter 21, verse 36. He says, watch, therefore, pray always that you be counted worthy to escape. To escape. All these things that will come to pass and stand before the son of God. Jesus is saying, pray that you're worthy to escape these things. But here's the problem. We can never be worthy enough by our good works. Being religious, claiming to be spiritual. We will not if if that's the case, we will not escape the judgment that is coming. We definitely don't want to be here when it breaks out. You see, the only remedy, our only hope is that we would recognize that God is going to judge this wicked world and wicked people because it's getting darker and darker and darker by the day. And we need to call out to the Lord for salvation. Because wrath is coming. If you're not right with the Lord, you need to get right to meet him tonight. The word of God says today is the day of salvation. We see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 2. Today is the day of salvation. In Hebrews 9, 27, it says it is a time for man to die once, then the judgment. We need to be ready for the coming of the Lord to escape these things. We need to be right with God. But in verse 21 through 23, as we close, again, Jesus points to spiritual deception. He says, if anyone says to you, look, I am he or I am the Christ. Don't go. Don't believe it. And there are copycat Jesus's and knockoffs in every religion. Every religion embraces Jesus. There's a Mormon Jesus. There's there's a Jesus that. People say he's a a prophet, he's a good moral teacher, he's a half-brother of Lucifer, he's Michael the archangel, he's whatever I want him to be in my life. Those are false Jesus, those are copycats, they pale in version to the one. Jesus is God incarnate, he's God put on skin. He's omnipotent, I mean, all powerful. He's omniscient. He knows all things and he's omnipresent. He's the one and only who was born of a virgin, perfect, sinless life, died on a Roman cross for yours and my sins. And he promised on the third day he would rise again, that all who put their trust in him will be saved. This is the promise. This is the promise. He's coming back. He's coming back in a moment in a twinkling of an eye. You see, there's all kinds of weird things going on about Jesus. We need to remember just the day before Pentecost, when Jesus rose from the dead, he sent the disciples to Jerusalem and he instructed them to wait there until he comes. Then he came and he's standing on the Mount of Olives with his disciples Again, where he's going to be there, where Zechariah says that one day he's going to stand there, it's going to split and he's going to walk in to the Temple Mount. He's standing there with his disciples and then he just goes into heaven. And his disciples are like, whoa, man. And in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, there are a couple of angels standing by as they were just amazed 
at Jesus going up on the Mount of Olives. And they, the angel said to them, men of Galilee, why do you stand up gazing this same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will also come in like manner as you see him go. He's coming the same way. He's coming down. Romans chapter 8 and verse 36, uh, 34 says he's currently sitting on the throne of heaven and he's praying for us. Man, that is so awesome that Jesus is praying for you and me. He's praying for us. Lord, help us. But until then, he's there. You see, he's not meeting with people secretly. He's not appearing to uh, private shows for amusement for elite people or a special group. You know, I've had this experience where somebody's invited me to see Jesus. And, you know, there's a lot of weird stuff. But he, Jesus is warning that in the last days, there will be false Christs doing miracles, signs and wonders. He's coming back, but in a moment, in in a flash of an eye. But he says false Christs and false prophets will rise and show signs and wonders to deceive, even if possible, the elect. But he says, take heed. I have told you these things beforehand. So Jesus is making it clear. I'm telling you all this so that you know what's going to happen. Man, he wants us to be aware Why? He doesn't want us to be mesmerized over signs and wonders and lying, lying wonders. Second Thessalonians chapter two, verse nine says they will perform. According to the works of Satan with all power, signs and lying wonders, be careful of smooth talking flatterers and so-called prophets who will come and impress you like there's something special. That they are receiving special revelations beyond what we see in Scripture. I've had a few characters come in here like that. You wouldn't be surprised. Strutting themselves around. Like they have a special revelation that we don't. So always reference Scripture to gauge the validity of who Jesus is. What's going to happen? It's right here. I don't have to speculate. It's all here. It's it's all going to take place as he said it would. And he's coming back. But I love what Jesus says here at the end. Take heed. I have told you these things. Basically, Jesus is setting us up for success in the last days. The word take heed says means listen up. Pay attention to what he's telling you. There are two plaques hanging in the Navy SEAL training facility in the Coronado, California. One reads, the only easy day was yesterday. And number two, the second plaque says, the enemy thanks you today for not giving 100%. We need to be ready. We need to be all in with Jesus. Why? We're, we don't want to be robbed. You see, the enemy wants to rob, kill, and destroy. The enemy doesn't care if you go to church. 
enemy doesn't care if you go to church. But if you're not actually living for Jesus, you're in a bad place. I'll close with Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 through 16. Here's the warning of the church. It says, see then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. These are easy, evil days and the evil and wicked days are coming ahead. We need to pray, but we need to be ready. We need to pray for our kids, our grandchildren. We need to pour into the children's ministry. We need to pray that we're in tune with the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the warnings, Father, that you give us. You warn us because you love us, Lord. But prepare our hearts for what is on the horizon, Lord. We pray, Lord, that we're attentive to the moving of your spirit, Lord. Father, we pray, Lord, that we're not playing church. Father, that we're in tune with you. Father, that we would recognize that right now, if I'm not ready, that right now I'll get right with you. That you would forgive us of our sins, Lord. That you would, you would change our hearts, Lord. Father, as I realize this week, I cannot do it without you. I can't. The church cannot do it without the work of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray. We pray, Father, that you would do a supernatural work of your spirit in us in this last days. Help us to be so in tune with you. Help us not to be afraid of these things that are going to take place, but help us to be ready, prepared in prayer. Loving you, depending upon the work of your Holy Spirit in each of our lives, Lord. May we not walk in the weakness of the flesh, but in the power of your Holy Spirit, Father. And Father, this is your will for us, that we would know the heights, the depths, and know the love of Christ that surpasses all understanding. Father, that we would be filled with the fullness of Christ, according to Ephesians chapter 3. And that the power of your Spirit would work in us mightily. And this is what we pray. In Jesus' name we all say, amen. Well, God bless.